morning. Oh, man, God is good, isn't he? My heart is so full, so full, so thankful. I hope you had an amazing holiday, and uh, this is our first Sunday of the year, and we're excited about that. I, I am so excited about what God is doing in South City, what he's already done, what he's going to do. Man, we, we're just getting started, right? We're just getting going because he is so faithful. He is so good. What a privilege to be in his house with you this morning. Uh, well, I tell you what, we're going to um, get started and we're not going to make any bones about where we're going here. We're, we're going to get serious here for a second. You see, our, our new series is called uh, Disciple Maker. And even in the way the graphic looks, it's possible to be a disciple and yet not be a disciple maker. But that's what Jesus has called us to in the Great Commission, to be disciples and also to be disciple makers. We're going to dig into that just a little bit this morning. I thought the best way to do that, many of you have started some new uh, habits this year. If you've got some resolutions, some things you're trying, let's see those hands. Come on. God bless you. Is that all? You know, it's so funny. Thank you, Larry. Yeah, it's so funny because you start, a, uh, you start a diet, and I'm like, you know, maybe six hours into it, and I'm like, honey, can you, can you tell the difference? I'm, I had a salad for lunch, so I didn't know. So funny. We just want things to happen immediately, you know? Well, I thought a good way for us to get started this morning would be to kind of take a little bit of a test, just for us to kind of really honestly, genuinely reflect on where we are with Jesus. And for some of you, that may be uh, nowhere. You may not have a relationship with Christ. You may not know him. You may not serve him or be obedient to him. And if, if maybe there's confusion about that, maybe you've grown up in church or your family's so connected to church, maybe you think, well, I, I must be too. We're going to talk about that. And I want to just ask a few simple questions. And I want you, I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to honestly reflect in your own heart and soul. And I want you to be honest. Would you be honest? Because you're just being honest with yourself and with God and he already knows. So really, it's just you, right? Here's some questions. How has God been real to you in this last week in your heart? Have you experienced some, some things that God has just been so real to you in this week? Here's another. How clear and vivid is your assurance and certainty of God's forgiveness and fatherly love? I mean, you, you know it beyond the shadow of a doubt. You've just sensed that this week. How about, uh, how about this one? Uh, do you really sense his presence in your life? Do you really sense him giving you his love? Is that real to you? Here, here's another way based around his scripture. Have you been finding his scripture to be um, alive and active? That's what the word of God says is alive and active. That means that as we read it, 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 it does something. <laughs> it affects us. It, it challenges us. It moves us. It motivates us. Have you experienced that? Is there something in God's word that's really challenging you? If not, think about that. Are you finding God's word um, that there's some extremely precious promises that you're holding on to that mean the world to you? How about, how about this? Um, are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than in the past? That's kind of a good question to help us kind of determine our growth. Or do we feel like his grace and his goodness is, is more precious to us? It means that probably we're growing in an awareness to it. Here's an interesting question, the last one I'll give you. Are you conscious 
of a growing sense of evil in your heart. And in response, a growing dependence on and grasp of the preciousness of the mercy of God. This is what I mean. The more we know Jesus, the closer we are to him, the more aware we are of the own, our own brokenness, our own sin, the evil that, that is within us. The more we know him, the more we realize how desperately we need him. Has that been real to you? Because the truth is, is this morning, if it hasn't been, if you don't feel some connection in those questions to a relationship with God, if you're kind of sitting there going, no, not really experienced that or those or no, you need to realize this morning, you may not know Jesus as your savior. If you don't sense a connection, if you don't sense movement from his word, if, if there's no desire for obedience in your heart, you may not know him. You're probably not a Christian. I don't know if you noticed it or not yet, but we've got a new uh, billboard ad out here on, our, on the billboard, big billboard out here. It's one of my favorite quotes from an old evangelist, Billy Sunday. <clears throat> it says, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. I love that. I hope people driving down the freeway think about that. Huh. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just showing up doesn't make you a Christian. It's not like you walk through the door and they go, hey, here's some integrity and here's some obedience and you just walk through, oh, thank you. And you leave and you're just exactly who you're supposed to be. It doesn't work that way. And when you walk into a garage, you don't become a, a car, right? It's kind of the same deal. Here's the first uh, note for your car this morning. It's, it's possible to be a part of a church and yet not a part of the kingdom of God. It's possible to be a part of a church and yet not a part of the kingdom of God. Not sure you know this or not, but it's a huge issue in the church in America. It's an even bigger issue, I think, in the South, in the Bible Belt. There's like something that comes with our her Southern heritage, right? It's kind of like, you, you know, I'm not a huge country music fan. I like some of it, some of it I don't like, but... It seems like in country music, the songwriting consists of, uh, you know, boots and uh, girls and uh, my dog and my truck, and, and God's kind of thrown into this melee of, of information, you know? Kind of like it's just our heritage. We got God and we got guns and we got boots and we got, you know what I mean? Almost like we just have inherited a faith in Christ, or at least that's what many people think, and that's actually not the case. There's tons of people who attend church who are fairly moral people even maybe. And maybe they even believe in God, but they don't know Jesus. Some of you go, wait, 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 wait. You're saying you can believe in God and not know Jesus? Yeah. According to James chapter two and verse 19, take a look at it. He says that even the demons believe and they shudder. His point is this, it's not enough for us just to say we believe and our lives not walk out obedience, not do the work of what it looks like to be a Christian. In other words, the work proves the faith. The work proves what we say, it, it proves the belief. <clears throat> for example, say I say to you this morning, hey, I've started a diet. Woohoo! new year, started a diet. But every day I eat donuts and ice cream and I, you, you keep looking at me going, He's getting bigger, not smaller. <laughs> what kind of diet is this that he's on? <laughs> See, I could say I, I started something, 
But it'd be real quick, you'd be real quick and it'd be really easy to look at my life and go, he said something, but he's not living up to it. It's the same thing with our walk with Christ. We can say a lot of things. Does our obedience, do our lives live up to what we've said? Not enough just to say something, right? We struggle in the Bible Belt. I heard uh, Matt Chandler, who's, I just love his preaching and teaching, and I had a privilege of kind of studying with his church in the residency that I went through. I heard him say recently uh, this, something to this, this effect. He's the pastor of Village Church in Dallas. He said, just because you feel like you're not that bad, you know, you've never killed anyone, you uh, didn't get your girlfriend pregnant before marriage, uh, just because you voted Republican for every election, just because you're Texan, doesn't mean you've been given the keys to the kingdom. He says his greatest difficulty in ministry is having to tell people in his church, you may not know Jesus. You may not know him just because you've come to church. You've been around a church. There's been a proximity of you near a church or your family's connection to the church doesn't make you a believer in Jesus. For whatever reason, we kind of think we've inherited this thing. It's possible to grow up in the church and not know Jesus. It's possible to be baptized in the church and not know Jesus. It's possible even to be somewhat obedient, to do some good things, and yet not know Jesus. Listen, if there's nothing in you, if there's nothing in you that wants to be obedient to him, that wants to follow his will and his way and his word that says, you're my God and I'm yours, do with my life what you want. If there's nothing in you that looks like that, you need to be aware of this, and this is a very serious thing I want you all to hear me say. You are in danger of being lost. You're in danger of hell, and it's a very real place. Just as real as the person sitting next to you or the chair you're sitting on, it's real, and you're in danger. And so, I, it's, it's, and I say this to you because I love you. How unloving would it be for us to just say things all the time and make this assumption no, we want you to know Jesus regardless of how long you've been in the church or been around the church. Do you know him? Do you serve him? Do you live for him? Are you obedient to him? Does your life speak the truth that you know this Savior? Whether you've been in the church your whole life or maybe this is the first day you've even stepped in one, I don't know. Today's the day of salvation. That's the good news. Some of you are going, man, it's kind of heavy this morning already. Wow. Listen, the good news is this. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So even if you're kind of not sure, you're kind of thinking through it, I'm not, I'm not sure where I stand. Well, the good news is you don't have to live another day. In fact, you don't have to live another minute without Jesus. In fact, I would say if in your heart you're questioning whether you know him or not, tune me out right now. Tune me out and begin to speak to the Father and say, Lord, I want to know you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I want to be obedient. I believe you died for me. Tune me out and make a decision to trust Christ today. But there's a very real problem in our church and in every church. And actually it was predicted by Paul. I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Paul says this about some churchgoers. It says in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, in the last days... It's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them. 
and thoroughly bad. They will be hard, uh, hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride and prefer good times to worshiping God. They will go to church. Yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Does that not describe our culture? Does that not describe the world that we live in? It absolutely is. The, the other day, I was, I don't know, a couple of months ago, we went to the uh, Texas State Fair. And I don't go to many fairs. And uh, there was a football game, you know, there at the stadium going on. I couldn't believe some of the things I saw people wearing, people doing. I was just kind of like, oh, I felt very sheltered all of a sudden. This is the world we live in. This is the definition of, of culture. But what's interesting, Paul's saying it's not just the culture. This is a culture, and these people go to church. Does that mean we're living in the last days? I think so. I think so. My, it's so interesting to me. It's like, if you're going to live that way, why go to church? That was a good question. Why are you here? And does this define your life more than loving and serving Jesus? You know, um, the church is, is to blame a little bit as well, honestly. We show up at the church, many of us, we've talked about this before, and we treat the church like this is the place to be perfect. Hey, perfect family, no, my, I'm, we're awesome. Don't question it. We're awesome. My family's awesome. My kids are awesome. My life is awesome. My truck is awesome. My job's awesome. Everything's awesome. We're fine. Right? Haven't we, have you experienced that in the church before? This means yes. This means no. Yes. For whatever reason, we've come to the Lord's house and we thought, hey, this is a place to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, all right. Especially when you look at people's Facebook pages, you don't ever see, hey, you guys, we're dying over here, do you? No, you see the perfect children and the perfect vacation and the perfect dot, 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 dot. Because that's our nature to put forward something that's untrue and to hide. When you, if you could look in some of our souls, you know, you might see that we're crippled with debt. You might see that our kids are, are jacked up and we don't know what to do. You might see uh, that we're afraid of, of men's opinion and what people think. That we're enslaved and addicted to sin and substance and porn. And that we feel guilt and, and we don't know how to be honest about it. Because the church has not created a culture where we can come and be honest about who we really are. And that will not be South City Church. This will be a place where we say bring your junk. Bring the reality of your heart and your soul and your life because you know what? It'll never change until you get honest about it. And we will love you and we will walk with you. We will not be a place for sinners. We will be a church made up of sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That is our heart. That is who we want to be. Here's the next point. Authentic disciples grow in maturity and depth in their faith. We have to grow it's not just a transactionary moment of making a decision. Hey, I made a decision, right? That's good. 
Like the, the guy who told his wife he loved her on the wedding day, that kind of thing? No. Discipleship is an ongoing, learning, deepening, growing uh, relationship. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 9, he says, our greatest wish and prayer, our greatest wish and prayer is that you will become mature Christians. He's saying, we want you to go, grow in depth. We want you to grow in understanding. Not just know Jesus as your Savior. Not just be a convert. Grow in him. Be a mature believer, which is called a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, right? We know it's not just church attendance. We know it's not just uh, the exterior, the, the appearance of godliness. It's not that. It's got to be deeper. It has to be real. It has to be the decisions we make. How we live our lives when no one's looking. It has to be honest. It has to have integrity and character. It's not just being a convert. You know what a convert is? A convert is somebody who has trusted Jesus, but they have no roots. They may, they may have trusted Jesus, but they have no depth. They have no understanding. Well, a disciple is defined as a follower, a learner, a student of God. I thought it was interesting. I saw in, in Relevant Magazine, they kind of did a comparison. What's the difference between a convert and a disciple. I thought we would throw these up here and be challenged maybe by some of these things. Number one, converts are believers who live like the world. Disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Disciples have said, you know what? I'm not gonna live like the world. I'm gonna live the way Jesus has said for me to live. I will be a disciple. I will be a learner of Christ. Number two, converts are focused on their values, their interests, their worries, their fears, their priorities, their lifestyles, and disciples they're focused on Jesus. What are his interests? What are his priorities? What are his values? Let me align my life underneath his so that I can look like him. That's what a disciple is. Number three, converts go to church, like we read in, in 2 Timothy 3. Disciples are the church. Some of you, listen, it's time to stop kind of checking us out. You got to get in here and be family, get to work. It's time to get to work. We need people helping. We need people in kids' ministry. We need people greeting. We need people helping with coffee. We, we don't want you just to be an attender. We want you to be a family, right? We want you to be a part of the church. Don't just come to church. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus. Disciples are committed to it. It's the, it's the crumpled up $5 bill in the plate. Man, I hope that goes a long way. Jesus multiplied. Listen, I'm not diminishing what we would call in Scripture the widow's might. It's not about the amount of money or amount of money you have or the amount of money you give. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes we think that whatever amount of money we give is all we need to do. Disciples are committed to the mission of Jesus. In our lives, in our homes, in our families, in how we're learning, in how we're growing, in what we're doing. We're committed to it. In fact, we might even say, Lord, we just, we just sang it. I'll follow you. If in this life I lose my life, I will follow you. Disciples will be committed to Jesus even if it means our lives. Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are in the game. Converts hear the word of God. Disciples live it. Right? It's not enough just to hear it. They're going to be doers of the word. They're actually going to take what it says and be obedient to it. That's what a disciple is. Converts follow the rules. Disciples follow Jesus Converts are all about believing. Disciples are all about 
being. Converts are comfortable. Disciples make sacrifices. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you will be persecuted. This will be difficult. You're going to have a hard time. Let nobody mistakenly say to you, hey, if you want the easy way, become a Christian. That's, that's a lie. It's not easy to be a Christian. It's hard. It's hard to truly serve and, and sacrifice all that we are because it means saying no to ourselves, and that's not an easy thing to do. We make sacrifices. And number 10, converts talk, disciples make disciples. Can I, can I just confess something this morning? I've been in ministry about 27 years, and there were probably 18 or 19 of these years. I just did a lot of talking. I did a lot of talking, and I didn't do a lot of disciple making. Many of you know I spent some of my time as an artist singing in churches in different places around the world. And I, I would have told you, that's my job. That's um, my, my thing to do for the kingdom. And I don't want to diminish those dear friends I have in the industry or people who do that. That is a part of it. But it didn't mean I got a pass to not make disciples as well. <laughs> Somehow I thought I did. Or I just didn't think about it. And the reality is, he's called us not just to be the people of God. Not just to know about God, but to make him known, right? To be disciples and to make disciples. In fact, that's our mission statement. I want you to look at it this morning. It says this South City Church exists to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. And so for the next several weeks in this series, we're going we're to focus on a couple of little phrases in here, okay? By becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. Becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. Some of you are going, isn't that kind of redundant? Authentic disciples, that's kind of redundant. I mean, you're right, it is. Because disciples ought to be authentic, right? So we shouldn't have to say it twice, but I'm telling you, in this culture, in this church culture, in my own heart, for some reason, I thought I could be a disciple and not be authentic. So I thought, you know what? Maybe we need to spell it out a little bit more. Kind of like when we want, you, know, you see Jesus trying to get somebody's attention. He might say, Peter, Peter. He has to say it twice. Sounds good to me. Sounds biblical. I don't know. Becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. Listen, hopefully every song we sing, every message we preach, every dollar we spend ought to be filtered underneath the desire for us to make disciples. If we ever do anything at this church that doesn't fall under the filter of making disciples, something's wrong. Because Jesus has called us to make disciples. He's not called us to be a country club, right? He's not necessarily called us to be a record label. He's called us to be a disciple-making factory, investing in you, becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. You might remember back in June, I think it was, we did a, um, we did a series, five or six-week series called The Why. Remember that? And we, we preached through that mission statement. And we just kind of talked about every aspect of that mission statement. And the point was this. Why, why are you here? Why am I here? Why do we exist? What's the purpose of the church? Do you remember the answer? Huh? Anybody? You got it. Come on. To make disciples. Thank you, George. That's the why. The why is to make disciples. That's it. 
That's why we exist. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, right? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. He didn't say, now go therefore and make converts. Get some good decisions. Go therefore and make church members. No, go and make disciples. And then he says, baptize them. You know what we do when we baptize someone? We're helping them understand their identity in Jesus. That's what baptism is. Because when they go under that water, they say, hey, I'm dead to myself. My my wants, my desires, all the things that make me, I'm dead to myself and now I'm alive to Christ. And my identity is found in him and him alone. That's what baptism is. And then the next thing, Jesus said, teach them to observe, to really do, to walk out, to live these things that I've commanded you. Teach them. And so much of the church has kind of fallen down on that that portion. We thought, hey, if we can just teach some people some cerebral information, if I can learn the books of the Bible and the stories of the Bible, if I can learn some names, and then we miss the purpose of the stories which is a life lived in Jesus, which is obedience. And so we got a bunch of people who know a lot of biblical knowledge and are not living a lot of Christ-like life. John, um, Timothy Keller, who is the guy that came up with those questions, pastor in New York and one of my favorite authors, he says this, there are not two kinds of Christians. You know, regular Christians and people who are really disciples. Don't we think that way though sometimes? Oh, that guy, he, he's a real, no. There are not two kinds of Christians, regular Christians and people who are really disciples. There's only one. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. And then he says this from Jesus' perspective, to have anything to do with me is to follow me in the way that I define it. So how does Jesus define discipleship? Can we look at it? Luke 9, 23, go with me. Luke 9, verse 23 says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or their soul? I want to I just take a second, I want to unpack the definition. This is like Jesus saying, hey, you want to follow me? You want to be one of my disciples? Well, here, here's the deal, all right? I'm going to let me lay it out for you. And so can we just take the things that he's laid out and look at it very quickly? Look at the first one. He says, deny yourself. Some of us are on some diet. Some of us, us are having to exercise a little more and you're denying yourself a little bit. It's not easy. And those are some pretty things that don't matter as much, right? When it comes to your dreams or your needs, or some other things that we kind of skimp on, or we, we make decisions that don't honor God. Listen, we have to deny ourselves. Anybody that tells you they're a Christian and they can do whatever they want to do has been deceived. Do you hear me? I have so many friends on social media of different parts of the country. They're living in certain ways that don't honor God, and yet they just kind of step back and go, well, this is what I want to do, and it, I'm just going to go that direction, but I'm going to still kind of play like I'm a Christian that's not how it works. And it's not, it's not my opinion. 
This is Jesus saying, this is how it works to be my disciple. Number one, deny yourself. Deny yourself of the things that have nothing to do with me, right? Deny yourself. Because when we deny ourselves, it says that life's not about us. Our life is not our own. We deny ourselves. Number two, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now, for many of us, the cross has become, you know, it's, it's a sweet symbol of sweetness in Jesus. And we, we wear it around our necks and on our keychains and we have them in our homes. And they've become this decorative item. But I want you to know that's not what they used to be. They used to be very offensive. It's kind of like coming to somebody going, hey, do you like my new necklace? And they're like, what is it? And you're like, can't you tell it's an electric chair in gold? What do you think? But now when you hear that, do you go, oh, do you? It's the same thing as a cross. It's a method of execution and torture. And so a while back, when you would see a cross, you might take your breath away, oh, that's what it meant. And Jesus is saying to us, deny yourself, take up your cross, take up your death. Get an understanding that you have to die to yourself. And he doesn't just say it sort of casually in a general sense. He says, take up your cross, what? Daily. I love that. I love that he put that in there. I love that he said that. Because listen, did you know that there are no, there's no such thing as Sunday disciples? Hey, I'm an Easter disciple. I'll see you on Easter, brother. Whoop. There's no such thing. There's no vacation days in discipleship. You're a disciple or you're not. Take up your cross daily. And then he says, follow me. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody lead you? Maybe you played a game and you've been blindfolded and you've had to kind of do this number and you know that sort of a deal. Or you followed somebody in a car and you don't know where you're going. And if they get too far ahead of you, it's over, you know? Have you ever felt that way? That's exactly the way we ought to feel with Jesus. Because it doesn't matter if you know where you're going, you can trust the person in front of you. Let him lead you. It can come to a place where you're just like, Lord, I, I just want to follow. Doesn't matter where we're going. Wherever you go, wherever you take me, wherever you lead me, I will follow you. You know, I, um, many of you know my story. I've told it many times, but I live this life of duality. I lived a life showing up at church thinking, hey, do I look like the guy that ought to be have, have everything together? And then I moved over here in the weekday and I, I was drinking and, and struggling with sexual addiction and, and all these different issues in my life. And it's not that Christians don't struggle and have issues. It's that God doesn't want us to fake it. He wants us to be honest about it. He wants to bring those things to the light. That's the purpose of the church. And my problem was I thought I could pretend to you I was over here and I could be this guy over here and praise God that he stopped that in my life and he helped me understand that there's no such thing as Sunday disciples it's every day every minute am I living for him am I loving him am I trusting him that's why I love small group community so much our south city groups it's a place where we can struggle together we can wrestle together Problem is when we try and hold on. Yeah, I love this paradox at the end here, this uh, text. Verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loves their life, uh, loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very own self or their soul? Saying, do you really want life? I mean, do you want a life that's meaning? Do you want the best life? We just finished a series called Life, talking about spiritual disciplines. And yet Jesus has given us this paradox of saying, I know it's hard to understand. I'm just thinking about this this week, you know. Many of you served in World War II and other conflicts, and I'm thankful for you. Thank you for that. I can't imagine being in a, um, what do you call those things, a rabbit hole or a trench or something, fighting for your life. And coming to the place where you look around and you see the enemy is too great. And you have to make a decision. I'm either going to just spend it all right here, or I'm gonna, I could save some of these men and surrender. I can't imagine that feeling because it, it has to be almost worse than death. It's this point where you just go, I'm probably going to die anyway. And I, I just, a point where you just give up. I surrender. It's a military term. Surrender is a military term. And yet how many of us have come to church and we've never said, God, I surrender. I just, I give up. I give up my life. I give up my thoughts, my plans. And as I surrender my life, as I lose my life to you, the reality is that's when I find it. That's when you give me the life you have for me. Some of you might be wondering, so how do we get there? How do we become disciples, authentic disciples? How do we become disciple makers? Well, number one, your pastors have a role in this. Our role is to help you uh, be built up to the church, to the body that you should be. I want to look at this text in Ephesians 4. Verse 11, I love this. If there's a scripture you're gonna take with you today and chew on, I, I wish it would be this one. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our role is to help you be built up as the body of Christ. How long will we do that? Well, listen, we're going to do it until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We know who he is. And listen to this. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What do you do when you measure something? You know, you stand up straight or you're measuring your kid's height or you're measuring your whatever the case may be and you're working on something. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to determine how much, right? How tall, how wide, how big. In other words, there is a measure to your walk with Christ. Yes, that you would all attain in unity the, the, the importance of knowing Jesus. But it's not just that. It's becoming to full maturity and a measurement of the fullness of Christ. So when we measure, how are we doing? I, this is what I'm saying. As you look in your heart and you look in your soul, how are you doing? How's the measurement for you? When you look, not at me, not when you look at somebody else, when you look at Christ, how do you do? How do you stand up? How's the measurement? Because it's until we become 
uh, mature believers in Christ, until we uh, have the stature of the fullness of Christ, we keep growing, we keep learning, we continue to be disciples of Jesus. South City, we got a little ways to go, don't we? Drew's got a little ways to go too, trust me. We can't mature as a church until each part is working properly. I love that. Each part is working properly. That's what makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know what that means? It means that we need you. We need you to take on the gifting that God has given you. It means that we need you to to be built up in your own discipleship so that you know him and you're making disciples. And when you do that individually, then we can be built up into the church that God wants us to be. Here's the next and last point. Authentic disciples make authentic disciples. Make authentic disciples. Make authentic disciples. This is God's plan for his church. And I want you to notice at the beginning of that Ephesians passage, it says, we're equipping you for the what? The work of the ministry. You're like, uh, I just kind of come here and listen to something and then I go home. Exactly. We're not here for your entertainment. We're not here for a dog and pony show or performance. It's not why we're here. We don't, we're not, we don't exist for that. We exist that we help you. We equip you for the work of the ministry. We want you to go. We want you to make disciples. We want you to be missionaries. We want you to be church planners. We want you to make a difference in this community, in this church, in this city. It's our job to equip you. As we're becoming authentic disciples, we make other disciples who are authentic as well, who know him, who trust him, who are growing in him. And you know what I love about this is when we make disciples, that is a part of our growth as disciples. A little confusing, but let me explain it like this. You know, if you, how many teachers do we have in the, in the audience today? All right, several, yeah. Well, when you study to be a teacher, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but you go to school for like three years, four maybe, I don't know, and then there's a portion of your education where you, what, teach, Right? So there's a nine-month period or something where you have to go and you student teach or an intern, you're a resident, whatever that's called. See, part of the education, part of the learning is teaching. This is what I'm saying. You might say, hey, I've known Jesus 50 years. Have you ever made a disciple? Because if you've never made a disciple, if you've never, and don't, don't make it out to be this super complex, difficult, impossible thing. It's not. I've heard some of you say, I'm just not ready. I just, I'm struggling. Good. Find somebody else who's struggling and let them struggle with you. Let them walk with you. Take them with you. Struggle together because that is the definition of the church. But when you take the initiative to make a disciple, then you're growing in your own discipleship. Listen, for the last year and a half, I'll be honest with you, I've been in ministry 27 years. I've never, felt, I've, I've never felt like I've known the word more than I do today because I've stepped into obedience to teach. And God's growing me as a disciple, as a, perp- as a product of it. My prayer life, my heart is so full of joy. I've never experienced it like this. And you know why? Because it's a part of my own growth. It's a part of my own development as a believer in Jesus. We look at the book of Acts, you know, we've been in a series 
in the summers, we're doing a series to the book of Acts, and I love it. I can't wait to get there this summer, honestly. I love looking at the book of Acts because you just see this explosion of growth. You see this explosion of people coming to know Jesus, people growing in depth in Jesus as the word increases and, and, and their, their understanding. And then you see those people step up in discipleship and begin to lead. And then you see, you see Paul developing people and, and raising up leaders and taking people with him from his church plants to other church plants and leaving people in churches. And there's just this unbelievable growth. And I, I just ask this question, do we see that in the American church today? Not enough. I think we see it in other countries, some. I think we see it in countries that are uh, restricted, the gospel's restricted. Iran, China, we're seeing the, the, the churches exploding. And my question is, why not Southwest Little Rock? Why not? Let me, let me remind you of a few things. Do people still need Jesus in this community? Okay, we get that. Uh, does God still want the gospel to be proclaimed and disciples to be made and churches to be planted? Huh? Yep. Is he still with us? He said he'd never leave us or forsake us. He said he would be with us in this mission to make disciples till the end of the age. Is it the end of the age? It hasn't ended yet. We're still breathing. We're not standing around the throne going, well, that was fun, right? We're still on mission. We're still in the book of Acts. God is still writing this story out and you're in it. I believe uh, God wants to do something in us this next year. I can't wait to get to be about it. Last week I talked a little bit about... Um, Focusing on obedience instead of the outcomes. Remember that? Talked about fear. We can't be a church that's afraid. We can't be a people that's afraid. We have to focus on obedience instead of the outcomes. Listen, I just want to say this this morning. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I, I have been in church a long time and I don't know that I've ever done all that God wants me to do. Then what does it mean for you to focus on be obedience instead of what somebody else might think? You might say, listen, I'm 65 and I've been in the church a long time. I've never trusted Jesus to be my savior. I know that. I know I haven't been living. There's nothing in me that wants to obey him or wants me to live for him. There's, I just don't sense it in my heart and my soul. Focus on obedience and not what other people think. Come down here and let us help you understand what it means to follow Christ. Let us walk with you in the most important decision in your life. What would it be like for our church to focus on obedience instead of outcomes? We didn't worry about tomorrow. We didn't worry about uh, what was going to happen here or there. We just, God, what does it mean to obey you? That's what we'll do. This morning, maybe God's speaking to your heart and maybe you're, uh, you just need to, you need to say, Lord, uh, this new year needs to change for me. I'm tired of just attending the church. I want to be a part of the church. I want to step up a little bit. I want to be used of you. If there's breath in your life, if there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. You hear me say it all the time. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. God wants to use your life. You're not an accident. 
He's waiting on you to understand it. He's waiting on you to grab onto it, to get excited about what, what am I created for? What did God make me for? Why do I have these dreams? Why do I have these gifts? Let's find out for the glory of God and the good of the city together, can we? Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness, for your goodness. Lord, I know in a church culture sometimes we, we think that church is about the performance or the event or the place that we go and we forget that actually the church is a place for us to walk in honesty and confessional living and in truth, becoming who you want us to become. Not just knowledge. Lord, you said in your word that we are to love you with our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength. It's not enough just to understand a few things cognitively. Lord, we, we have to let it go deeper into our souls, into our hearts, and into our hands and into our feet that we worship you with all that we are and everything that we have. Would you allow South City Church to be that kind of a church? A place of people, full of people, ready to serve you, ready to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and know that we are gonna die daily. We're gonna follow you. And as we follow you and we trust you with our lives and our dreams and our everything, we're actually gonna find our lives and find our everything as we surrender to you. God, there's people in this place today that have never surrendered to you. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, of the living God, that you would move on their hearts, help them to surrender today, not for me, not for this church, not for any other reason, but for the truth that they can know you and live in you and serve you and have the life, God, that you've created for them to have fully. God, would you help them to surrender now? We love you. We bless you. We give you this time in our worship with all that we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. If you need to come to this altar, you know, I, I want to continue to break down some any weirdness that there might you might feel about the altar. This is no different than where you are. You can pray in your seat if you want. You can pray up here. The difference is I'll be over here. Brother Jerry will be over here. We might be able to help you if we can pray with you or explain something to you or just give you a hug and encourage you. The important thing is that you are being obedient to Christ. What is he calling you to do? And what area of your life is he calling you to surrender? To become a disciple and not just a disciple disciple maker. It's not an option, church. This is our mission. This is our why. We'll be here for you if you need. Will you stand and let's continue to worship.